there was a comfort that came as I was enduring uh, quite a bit of pain through my cancer experience to know that a normal component of the Christian walk is to endure suffering and Mm -hmm. that God is doing incredible things through the suffering that we experience. Through the suffering. And that it's necessary for us to experience that to become like Christ. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Well, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. I have back in studio uh, one of my faves, Casey Noble. And the reason why she's one of my faves, because as a sister in Christ, we get to do ministry together. And I just, I love the way that you uh, spend time in the Word, the way that you approach the Word, and your passion to get other people uh, dialed into reading the word for themselves, that you want people to be self-feeders mm. to a certain extent. Thank you. And so I enjoy that about you. And uh, yeah, and so it's good to have you back in here today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today. Doing well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, if you were to describe uh, what are the ways in which, um, because we have regular seasons of kind of normalcy yes and then we have seasons where we're it's abnormal so whether it's vacation time Mm -hmm. or it's summertime there's there's life cycles in our family and so time in the word what does time in the word look like for you outside of a normal and abnormal right in whether you're traveling you're on vacation just because we're 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 kind of in the season right now of summer and you know, I can remember when the when the, our kiddos got out of school, it was like, oh yeah, we've got these these kids around all day that <laughs> aren't here. at school. They're here, and and their morning routines are off, and different things. So, how does how do you deal uh, with the abnormal rhythm? So, uh, it's not always well. Okay, it's it's harder. I have to squeeze it in where it comes. I have to prioritize it. And um, the Lord is good because he quickly puts the pinch on me. Okay. I have a tendency in summer to um, slide into summer uh, flesh mode. Okay. You know, I have Does to, that mean for you, like, just uh, wanting just more relax, rest, more personal Relaxing time? and uh, growing up, summer was always fun. And, and that can slide, you know, it can slide the wrong direction with me real fast. Mm. So um, I have to really make an effort to stay in the Word because it's not as structured in the summer. My yeah. structure's a little off. So I definitely have to stay in that effort. Now, in when we actually are on vacations and stuff like that, it's a little bit easier because when I, we change settings, I'm like, oh, the first thing I want to do is spend more time in the work. You know, that's right. so, but um, in just the totality of the summer, I have to, I have to dial in. Do you find like as your kids grow, that they're developing their own routines and does that somehow kind of reinforce for you mm-hmm. or kind of holds you accountable at all? I'm, I ask that because I'm wrestling with that. My oldest is really dialed into some routines and my, my younger kids are not yet, but he is. And so it, it kind of holds me accountable. Mm, but I don't good. know if you've experienced that or felt that. Uh, sort of. I have more of a desire for them to see me reading the Bible mm-hmm. more often. I just want them to see me doing that 
Yeah. And so where I used to, when they were little, I would really be specific about, I got to get up at 4.30 so I can have, you know, I wanted mm-hmm. to be away from them. But now I have a desire for them to see that. So that's kind of a, what you're saying. It's of. a help. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a friend uh, and mentor kind of when I was, before I was married, before I had kids, he would talk frequently about his desire was for his his kids to catch him doing like uh, devotions mm-hmm. or catch him praying or catch him in the act of seeking the Lord. Yes. And so that it would somehow that that, that catching somebody doing that is more profound mm-hmm. and hasn't impacted. So um, that's good. Yeah. I've, I think that's a good accountability for all of us to, to lean into. Let your kids see you doing it. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular that the Lord's showing you in this season of life, mm. whether it's in the Word or in biblical community? <sighs> well, it's kind of traces back to what I just said a while okay. ago, and just how how quick I am to slide over to my own leanings, how quick I am to to slide over into um, equating relaxation with a departure from the Word. Mm. And they couldn't be more. I mean, that could right. not be more wrong. And I know that. Like it's I, interesting I know that, that we have that tendency, though. Right. Like, why would we divorce them when we've already experienced yeah. the peace of it? Yeah. So I guess it's learning the difference in peace and and my fleshly relaxation. Yeah. That I call that. So. Okay. Which is laziness and just sitting around. You know, it's, <laughs> let's just call it what it is. It's not good. So, that so in your mind, like vacation is you sitting somewhere with your feet up. Is it a good book? Like oh, I'd love to read. Yes, I love to read, and I, I an ultimate piece would be just spending lots of time alone hmm. and reading, and lots of time in God's Word. That's just the ultimate piece. But I also like like you know moving, hiking, mountains, movement. Those kind of things yeah. are important. I couldn't sit in a room all day. When you guys go on vacay, are you the the kind of the party planner? Are you the one that has the agenda and has oh, all the things that you're Chad, doing? What do you think? You know. <laughs> <my husband. laughs> <laughs> and he's the best because he's just a Midwestern, even killed dude. And he's like, okay, let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Wherever he's at. And so, yeah, he just kind of, he he very graciously comes along. But he's always the party. He's lots That's of fun. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. All righty. Well, uh, you came here to take and read. To take and read. The scripture. So uh, we are making our way through Mark. And in the last episode, we just kind of. We, we crested mm-hmm. in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. We, we got to the kind of the middle point, and it truly is like according to Mark's design and, and God's clear inspiration that there's this central point of the Gospel mm-hmm. as Mark has set out to articulate this is the Gospel, the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And so that term, Christ, is it hasn't been used outside of that first sentence until the previous uh, couple of verses. So we just finished up through uh, 27 through 30, where Peter, well, Jesus is asking, okay, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And he says, but how about you? What do you, what do you think? Who do you think that I am? And that's when Peter makes the confession, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, and so there. Finally, there's this finally this verbal affirmation of what has been building and what he's been revealing to them, and all of these different incidences of the the kingdom and its coming, and 
exposures of what it's like to be in that kingdom, the healing, the the casting out of demons, the calming of storms and winds and waves. And, and so all of that is culminated in this. Now that confession has happened. We then start to come down from that and we see what is the focus and what is Mark showing us in and through this gospel. And so that's the that's where we're at today. Perfect. We're in crescendo. Yeah, I mean, you can just feel that whole time you're going, "What is wrong with him? Why can't they see who he is?" And you just right we're here, finally in here. the middle of chapter eight of sixteen chapters, like it happens. So now we start to make our way on the second half of this gospel in verses thirty-one through thirty-three, and that's what we'll look at today. We are st- uh, reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, as you guys know out there, I try to uh, mix it up, and so you, I'm I'm going to start to introduce some more NIV, NASB, but you guys will, there'll probably be about six different translations that I try to work with. So today we're in 31 through 33 of Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them, he being Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Hmm. Very interesting exchange. Uh, So let's just... I want to make sure that we understand what's being said, that we could kind of paint the picture. So as you were to, if you were to describe this scene to somebody, what would you kind of, how would you set it up? Mm. I see, I would set it up as for the first time, the disciples are getting a true understanding of who Jesus is. And in, while I we if we were writing this story, mm-hmm. this moment would have a light, beautiful music. You know, it would be da, a music da, da, and da, 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 ah, yes, it would just be. But there's some <laughs> tension in this. There is. There's there is there's tension here. It's gravelly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's not what we want it to be when Jesus is finally unveiled as the Messiah. And so, um, just describing that, like walking through that procedure of how, because I think we have to grapple here with the fact that this is dirty right now. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, it's you not, know, it's not. Yeah. And especially after And they that, lived happily ever after. Uh-huh, exactly. That's not. Finally. Yeah. Because we just were talking about this tension that's been building, that's mm-hmm. been pushing on our hearts of why can't they get that this is Jesus, that this is the Messiah, what's wrong with them? And then finally, we get a little bit of release, but- we're building up some tension again. Yeah, and it it seems to be tension around not understanding then if he is the Messiah or the Son of Man is another term that would have indicated the Messiah, mm-hmm. which is used here. Uh, that that there's certain things that they have expectations about this Messiah, and this is what it means, and he now has to repopulate their definition and understanding of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah. and for them, it's inherited from generations of expectation around uh, the Son of Man or the Son of David, the Messiah, would be a military conqueror. He would overthrow regimes yes. and kingships and political parties. It would be, you can almost see Peter at the knee of his grandfather and saying that his grandfather saying, Oh, but someday the Messiah will yeah. come and he will set us free. 
And you wonder if it's like, as as this realization is building about, could Jesus be the one? Could Mm -hmm. he really be? As they're going around and he's healing and he's demonstrating clear authority and divine power, you almost wonder if Peter and the others are going, oh, sweet. I wonder when we're going to march into Rome. Mm -hmm. I wonder when we're going to take Caesar and this and get rid of these Romans and we'll reestablish all the stuff. You kind of wonder if they're, they're like, yes, okay, he's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Now that we've, we're clear on that, let's, let's go do it. Let's, let's, let's take the it. hill. Jesus has taken the varnish off of it right here. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. He, I mean, that's what's happening, right? It's, it's, it's not as shiny as they wanted it. Yeah. So the, I kind of see this scene as he's, he's having this, this kind of alone time with his disciples, and he, he just finishes up, okay, what are people saying about me? What do you who what do you think about me? Who do you think I am? And they confess him to be the Christ. Peter answered him, and then he strictly charges them to tell no one about him. This is verse thirty, and then it says, and he began to teach them. Okay, this is what it means. Then, if I'm the Messiah and you you have understood correctly, now don't tell anybody, so that there's some kind of sensitivity about the timing of when this news is supposed to get out. And he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected not by the Romans, be rejected not by just some random pagans or heathens, but the Son of Man is going to be rejected by the elders and the chief mm. priests and the scribes. So all of the religious, the Jewish authorized religious leaders those that are supposed to understand all of the nuances of the Messiah's coming and everything that that means, those are going to be the ones that reject him. The ones that you thought were going to be, in some way, taking part. Probably in like, this hey, rise. now yeah. we got to prepare the way the Messiah's here. Let's let's everybody get ready. And mm. and he's saying, the one of the things that's going to happen now is I'm going to suffer, and. I'm fixing to be rejected by all of the people that are the who's who of the Jewish community. And he's saying this to them plainly, it says. I I appreciate that description in 32. So we're not in parables anymore. We're not, it's not cloaked in any Mm -hmm. kind of mystery. He's saying this, hey, you guys spot on. I'm the Messiah. And now you need to know I'm going to suffer and we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be rejected. And he says to it plainly, hmm. which provokes Peter now, the one who just confessed, who now is like, you're the Messiah. I get it. And Peter takes him aside like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is you better ins- stop it. This is just wild right here. Yes. I mean, because going back to that little Peter, he even though he has seen the Messiah, he hasn't seen the role of the suffering Messiah yet. Yep. And his brain cannot get it. Like, so he's obviously got some idea that the Messiah is whatever Jesus is saying to describe now what's about to happen to him is inappropriate. Yes, he so takes Peter him thinks it's like he's like, "Come here, Jesus, you stop! You're gonna and you're he, sounding crazy. You're scaring the guys. Like who knows him. what he's saying in rebuke?" And then it says, uh, "Turning and seeing." So Jesus then has been pulled aside by Peter to have this kind of, "Hey, you need to tone it down, man." And Jesus looks and see the other's disciples looking at him. watching with bated breath. And he's yeah. like, all right, I got to take care of this. And so then he rebukes Peter back. And it's not this soft rebuke. It's get behind me, Satan. 
get behind me, accuser, enemy of the Lord. Like, that's what he's saying. Because you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Mm -hmm. So what is it about Peter not being able to comprehend or accept or receive this news about the Messiah and his suffering and rejection that's of man and not of God? Mm. That's the question we got to wrestle with. Yeah. And so I think if we understand the scene and now we get into what does this mean, what does this mean for them, let's let's wrestle with why Peter, why why he's setting his things on the, the things of man or his mind on the things of men in that he doesn't want to accept the suffering and rejection of the Messiah by the Jewish mm-hmm. leaders. He wants the power and the glory and the triumphal ent- entrance of the Messiah, things of this world, the power of this world, rather than the flip side of the power. You know, the first shall be last, first shall be last, last shall be first. He's looking for all the things that he had dreamed this moment will finally have as our people when we will finally have redemption. And it's going to be purple robes and, you know, that he was seeing that. And even though, I think it's so interesting because had the verses just before this in 29 not been exposed, we would have given Peter an out. Mm -hmm. But because he has identified and confessed the Messiah, he has no out here. Yeah. I, I this this scene this picture comes to mind when I think about Peter that these disciples have been essentially kind of not re- maybe rejected but are are playing this role of you know they're the dis- disenfranchised by the Romans mm-hmm. the Jews are are kind of a minimal people and then within the Jewish community these guys are laborers they work hard blue collar they were passed over by rabbis and and in order to kind of have more prestigious roles within the Jewish community. And so now they're off fishing and doing whatever. And so these guys, they know rejection mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Imagine a scenario where you're a, a, a young boy and you like to go down to the playground and you like to, to play basketball and you go down to the playground and, and there's always these pickup games and and you're you're usually picked last if picked at all and you're never on the winning team and and so this this new guy moves to town and you're hanging out with him and you're seeing this guy as he's kind of practicing on the side and he's dunking it and he's like swirl dunking <laughs> and he can just like three pointers like crazy come to find out you learn that this is Michael Jordan. Like my buddy is actually Michael Jordan. Like he's the man. He's going to choose me every time. And then you're like, <laughs> and he wants me on his team. He continues to tell me and my buddies that are terrible at this game. He's like, I want you on my team. And he's never lost. He never loses. Yeah. And you come, you're like, oh, Michael Jordan's on my team and I'm on his team. And Let's go to the playground. Mm-hmm. It's time to settle the score. Like all those people that made fun of us or, man, we never won a game. And he and he tells you, hey, before we head down there, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get schooled. And they're going to they're gonna juke me and I'm going to go for it. On purpose. On purpose. And they're going to dunk on me. I'm going to miss the shots. And that's how this is going to go down. And you'd be like... No, 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 no. This no. is my moment, Michael. This is, this is we, we win. We're on the winning team. We go and win. And he's like, you don't get it. 
you still don't get what it means to have Michael Jordan on your team. That's a picture of what I see here. Absolutely. There's got to be this human struggle with him going, no, 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 we're on the winning team. You're the Messiah and you're our rabbi. That means we win. And he's like, I'm the son of man. We're going to town and we're going to get rejected by all the important people. They're going to reject us. And Peter, you know, I always have seen Peter through the scriptures as the scrapper. Yeah. You know, he's oh, kind yeah. of the rough one. He's, you know, he's. He certainly kind of pops off at the mouth a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he, he's the guy that, and so I can see him in there with some rise up, you know, like, mm-hmm. which you, we see, and he's rebuked the person he just confessed as the Messiah. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's rebuked. That's a strong word, too. It that, is a very that strong that form, word. That word rebuke there. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's happening for. The disciples, this confession has just happened. He now tells them that the Son of Man, the Messiah, has to suffer and be rejected. And then you see this kind of failure on the part of the disciples to kind of grasp what that mm-hmm. means or or that news about the Messiah. And so this is – we're, we're going to see this pattern. This isn't the only time that this is going to happen. And so just like there was this – uh, progressive understanding of who he was mm-hmm. up until chapter eight. Like they would kind of see these glimpses and we'd see the, the disciples act in faith and then we'd see them not get it. Mm-hmm. It's like he just fed the 5,000 and then not too long after they're in the desert, it's a desolate place and they're like, hey, we don't have any food. These guys have been out here for three days and he has compassion. He says, well, what do you have? Well, a couple of loaves. What are we going to do? And it's like, don't you remember? We already did it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Give me what you got. You got some fish, right? Let's do this again. And so there's this progressive kind of them gaining and coming to an understanding of who he is. Now I think we're going to see this understanding. Okay, this is who he is, and now this is what it means for him to be that. For him, this I think that is so important. This is who he is and this is what it means even as we'll talk about later in the application of this what it, this is what it means mm-hmm. and the slowness it takes for us to get that to get to that point of this is what it means in my life you know yeah. that i don't want to jump there i don't want to jump there i just got excited sorry yeah and so uh, what do you think possibly is happening for the recipients of mark's gospel when they receive mm. this like when they get this scroll and they're reading this account of of the life and ministry of Jesus and Mark is making this argument that Jesus is the Messiah and then they hear this for the first time. So the when su- would they have gotten this about uh so you would have had this circulating um anywhere from I think like 20 years after the event? Somewhere. So so we know that the word has spread. There's some, yeah. we know at least 500 people saw him risen. You know, so the right. word is. And so this would have been a part of a collection of scrolls that mm-hmm. are now circulating in these church communities, these kind of, yeah, the, around villages mm-hmm. and stuff. And so they would get these scrolls. And so at this point, they're they have some understanding and the apostles have been teaching and preaching and, and the words going out. What do so, you think Peter's status is at this point? I mean, I know what Peter looked like because of the Catholic church a little later, yeah. but he, what do you think his reputation is? He would have been martyred already, right? Yeah. So would they have held any status for Peter? 
Like Oh, for uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been one of the three. I mean, there's um I think it's in Galatians you have Paul talks about appearing before uh going up after 14 years of ministry and appearing to Peter. He says then after th- uh, 3 years I went to Jerusalem to visit Peter and remain with him 15 days. So he went mm-hmm. after uh, you know 3 years after the ascension of Christ. Paul receives the has the appearance of Christ, receives the gospel and then after 3 years goes up to Jerusalem to kind of be affirmed and and be endorsed. He spends 2 weeks with Peter especially. And and then you you can read about other mm-hmm. dealings they have because there's some some heatedness that happens between Peter and Paul. I love Peter. But yeah, so he he was known as as kind of a a, a prominent authority within the church. They would have seen this misunderstanding with Jesus. They would have. I, I can imagine. Yeah, they would have and seen. I I keep coming back to one of the things that people when people try to make the suggestion that somehow what we have in the New Testament is this kind of manufactured mm. religion by this group of men. Um, it 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 just it's hard to stomach that because you see so many times that this group of men that would have been inventing a religion show themselves to be not so mm-hmm. noble. And like, they would have erased this up. Yeah, you would clean this stuff up this and you is... would be kind of, yeah, I knew early on that he was the Christ and, and I was waiting for the other guys or, or something like that. But if this is the collected teachings of Peter by John Mark, like you do see on display multiple times where Peter is willing to show ignorance mm. and show that yes. his missteps, which just lends to its authenticity, I think. So. Because eventually Peter sees him as the Messiah. And yeah. eventually he's willing to bow his knee to it. And even after this confession, you see the very next thing he does is he shows that he doesn't understand what that means, that Jesus, mm-hmm. he's like, I, I believe him to be the Messiah, but now demonstrates, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And then we'll, you'll eventually get to the point where he records his own rejection of Jesus, that Jesus predicted, you're going to reject me. He's I would like, have left no, that out ne- too. No, no, that's not going to happen. And, he, and then shortly thereafter. I love um, in verse 31, I love the word must, that simple little word Combined with Son of Man, because, of course, that points back to Daniel. It would have had a profound significance for, for the old Jewish way. But that word must there, as the people who are reading these scrolls or hearing these scrolls, that word must, I would assume that they may have had some grappling. I don't want to you know, suppose too much here. But why did this have to happen? And uh, yeah, that's I think you, you're pointing out that it's not that he will suffer. But that he must, must. That it's it's kind of a, a necessity. It is a necessity for the way the thing the world works. Yeah. Like the the way this whole world the fibers of the world require that God incarnate come to earth and suffer. Mm-hmm. I mean the the fiber I mean the very being like we don't get it, but every every single thing that every sin, everything that I do that's wrong in some way requires amends. You know, in some like in a, in a small sense, when I run a stop sign, I love this. I think it's Tim Keller makes this analogy. When I run a stop sign, either I get a ticket, I get hit. You know, there's I mean, there's things that have to happen yeah. if I run a stop sign, yeah. or or I just bear the burden of running that stop sign. Right? Yeah. That's a small, tiny example, but that the idea is that everything has to have redemption. 
Yeah. And this must kind of echoes the cosmic way. Yeah, and um, that a world that we have created or a world that is now dominated by sin and is broken because of our own rebellion as humans, there's a sense in which redemption and, and to make things right is going to necessarily involve suffering. Mm-hmm. And that obedience to the Father means suffering. Because in the next, very next verses, after this whole incident where Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, but Jesus does rebuke Peter, he talks about the cost of following him is to suffer and and die, that, that you would take up your cross and follow him. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take up this this element of Roman death and punishment that you would do that daily over and over again, that your willingness to suffer and die to self, that's what it means to follow him. Saved from ourselves every day. But it begins with him Mm -hmm. that he must first suffer setting the pattern for our lifestyle. It's just, and, and also, you know, like if you really tease out that word must applying to like the high priest, like the role mm-hmm. that of all the things that had to occur for him to bear the role, to bear and complete everything that's been completed at the right hand of the father right now. All that's the must. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's the whole Bible is in that must. Yeah. That's a good catch. See, that's why you're one of my faves. That's a good. I, I have see that lots word. of curiosity and not not some, lots of knowledge. I didn't, <laughs> that. I didn't see that, and that's uh, that's so cool. I like that. Um, so how do so if you were to kind of say in these verses, thirty one, thirty two, and thirty three, what's the main like? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. If you had a brushstroke with which to kind of paint that. What do you mean by, like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Like, you stand back and go, here's what this means. And when I ask about meaning, I'm always asking, let's let's locate this in history. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Or what does is, what is Mark, why is this mm-hmm. in here? Yeah. I think it's kind of what I just talked about, that the necessity of the way this entirety of all of history and all of history to come works hinges on the fact that it was a suffering messiah Mm -hmm. and that it all hinges on that it's that don't you know you had it wrong up to that point the point when all history hinged and started working differently Mm -hmm. (laughs) that whole point had to happen by the suffering messiah and there was no other way yeah and that so that's kind of what in, for me, that's what I what I see in that point. It's almost like you know the irony you were talking about the the part in this when it shifts. This is also kind of like the hinge of time. You know, this hinge of time was when the Messiah died and rose again. And went to, you know three days later ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's the hinge of time. You know, yeah. so it's almost like the first time that Jesus kind of opens the playbook and and lets the disciples go. Okay, now that you know who I am. Who. Let's just, I want to show you the playbook. This is how this is going to, this is how we win. I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer and be rejected. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? So they're like, that's the play? Mm-hmm. That That's how we, he's like, I'm, I'm just showing you the playbook. I'm just showing you this the playbook. This is how this is going to play out. Um, oh, I mean, and it just, 
it just reminds me of our human inability to understand and accept Christ. And I think that's where, that's the next kind of part of what we do here is we try to understand what it says, and then we wrestle with what does this mean, and that meaning located in history when, you know, the author's intent. Then we wrestle with how do we experience that meaning, and that's where it's significant. And so to your question, how is it that we wrestle with and what assumptions do we have about God or even about mm-hmm. Jesus that that aren't properly aligned with what he's revealed yeah. about himself? Oh, Right, and mm-hmm. I think that that's where I begin to wrestle. Like right now, as I take inventory, what it, either through my actions, my inactions, words, thoughts, how, what it, what am I assuming about Christ that is not in alignment with what He's revealed about Himself in the Scriptures? And that's, I mean, culturally, I think there's there's a couple of ways that I can identify the way the culture looks and assumes. Especially in the South, no. um, we have a lot of assumptions about God, and you know I, I may get in trouble for this, but there's even ways that we blend Christianity with a particular political mm, party national, or nationalism, yeah. and like God is for America, and therefore, like, like mm. almost like this exclusive, like He only really loves America, right? Or He loves us the most, like we're the favorite mm-hmm. kid, and. That's not biblical at all. Mm -mm. And so it's like, okay, hold up here. What other assumptions do I view God as kind of a a happy Santa that we see in the the malls back when there were malls? Or Jesus as the bearer of power like I expect power to be. That is culturally prevalent, very much so in the Bible Belt in the South. That Jesus is a wielding – the Jesus I wield is one of power and Mm -hmm. not not the strong, not the good power. Yeah. The um, allow me to get my way power. Yeah. You know, that we. Which, you know, kind of starts to flirt with the, with the prosperity gospel that mm-hmm. runs rampant when we go and we travel across seas. Uh, we'll see in a lot of third world countries a gospel that has infiltrated there is that if you give your life to Jesus, all your wildest dreams mm-hmm. will come true. And you'll be prosperous. You'll start to receive these financial benefits, and he will do this for you and this for you and this for you. This message here, what he says in following after this, is there is something that's a necessary element of the Christian life is going to involve suffering. We don't like that. No, no, no. It doesn't. And it doesn't mean we go looking yeah. for ways that people can hurt us and, mm-hmm. and that we can in, endure suffering, but it means that we don't shy away, that we live our lives in a way that's unashamedly for Christ, which is going to invite suffering. And it starts every day where we determine, not my will, mm-hmm. but your will be but done. Yours. And it's moving, it's using the resources God has given us, money, power, time, influence whatever it is that God time you know just maybe it's time because you you live in a rural area and so you have more more time to to whatever it is you know like mm-hmm. whatever the resource God has given you that you use that resource to move toward inconvenience to move toward the people who are mm-hmm. suffering to more toward to move toward poverty rather than using those resources to move away and that's super challenging for me because oh. my tendency is to what little I have like I want to hang on to it mm-hmm and keep it and just make sure that I have comfort. 
that I have provision. And sometimes I go, well, it's to provide for my family, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm, what am I providing? I'm providing them comfort. And A good I, experience, I, good yeah, memories. Yeah. And so it's it's, I say it in thoroughly convicted, yeah, not having mastered super, it. Super, super convicted. Wow. It's just, I mean, to see the Christ, the Son of Man, as the suffering Savior, and to to skip past that and jump to the risen, ascended Savior, full of power, is a is a grave, uh, like a, a what's that when you're malnourished? <laughs> it, well, yeah. it it sets up a malnourished spiritual life. Yeah. To to jump past this and not just sit in this suffering Savior. Yeah. Really, I, do you think this is a huge supposition, Chad? But based on the scriptures. I know God wants us to see the, the the full picture, but if He wants us to sit anywhere in reflection, I feel like it's in the suffering Savior, more so than the risen Savior full of glory and power. You think that's a bold, wrong statement? I don't. I don't. When I went through, um, several years ago, went through my cancer journey, uh, one of the passages that was actually in Luke and in Matthew, a similar kind of area of the gospels and time in the life and ministry of Jesus, I started to see there's this phrase that he uses after they identify who he is. He moves from the northern territory and it says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And when he does that, what he's doing is he knows what Jerusalem means and it doesn't mean worldly victory over the powers that be even though there's that triumphal entry and that's what the disciples are like, oh, sweet, it's happening. Like they're going to usher him in and he's mm -hmm. going to take power. And just, you know, days later, he's now arrested and being tortured. And he knew all along that's what that meant. And that's what he predicts here is that now this means I have to start making the journey to the most excruciating like, human experience imaginable not only the physical lashings and the physical pain and eventually the physical humiliation mm -hmm. hanging on a Roman cross, but also the separation from the Father that's going to transpire and, and taking on the wrath of the Father. Of the world. Uh, yeah, on behalf of us. Like, he's hated by everyone at that point, and he knows that. And so there was a comfort that came as I was enduring uh, quite a bit of pain through my cancer experience to know that, a normal component of the Christian walk is to endure suffering and mm -hmm. that God is doing incredible things through the suffering that we experience. Through the suffering. And that it's necessary for us to experience that to become like Christ. Mm. And he does it well. A couple of verses yeah. back we read where they were amazed because Jesus did everything well. Mm-hmm. Jesus is God incarnate. Yeah. God does everything well, even in the suffering. Yeah. And that's that's hard. And that suffering is actually like a gift that starts to wean us away from idolatry of certain things uh, and and ways that we're putting our our hope in other stuff. And yeah, we start to hang on to identities wrapped up in what people think of us. But if we start to just come to grips with and be comfortable with the idea that as we live for Christ and follow him, suffering will occur. Man, when suffering does occur, we know we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. If you look around your life and you're like, things are good and, and they've been pretty good for a while. I haven't had to endure much. 
That yeah. may be an indictment on you, like, on some stuff, right? That's hard. Because we try to live our life trying mm. to avoid any discomfort. Like that's yeah. We move away from inconvenience. And man, in, in the United States, it's very easy to come by that. Anyway. That's hard. Powerful stuff. This is a hard, hard teaching. <laughs> yeah, in three beautiful little verses, there is a, a lot to consider. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Yeah, thank today. you for and making me go hit my knees and <laughs> consider. That's powerful stuff. That's... But uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, and for those that are listening, uh, if you have questions for Casey or myself, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we covered a lot today in this episode. And so please send questions, comments. Make, uh, you know, engage in, in comments on uh, whatever platform that you're finding this. Uh, like it, uh, share it, subscribe, do all the stuff you're supposed to do with these kind of things like podcasts. Uh, and it helps other people find us and it helps other people engage in reading the word because my desire is to make much of him, less of myself. I don't want uh, any kind of fame from this. I want people taking and reading the word of God. So my encouragement to you is take and read the Bible because it is the word of life and we have been transformed and are continuing to be transformed. I mean, you and I have read this passage probably multiple times in our life Mm -hmm. and still we wrestle with it and it is faithful. It's new every single time. And it pierces and it divides and it it shows us a little bit about our own heart and things that we need to do. He's so good. So thanks for being with me. Thanks for being here, hanging out. I loved it. And uh, look forward to next time. Yep. Thanks Thanks for inviting me. All right.